0: exciting morning as we gather in worship. We're in a new series right now. If you have your Bibles, why don't you open them up to Psalm 33. If you're new, we've got a red book in the pew. It's uh, right there in front of you. If you're in the front row of any of the sections, there's a little cubby right behind your leg. A lot of people don't know that. There's a hymnal there. It's a great book, and you've got the uh, red book as your Bible. And as we go to Psalm 33, I know that there are many that join us online, and those also who join us uh, with their mobile devices and as we go to Psalm 33, we're going through the New Revised Standard Version. And in a moment, I'm going to read for us verses 6 all the way through the end of that chapter, verse 22. But as you open that up, let me, let me pause and let you know where we are uh, in this teaching series. We're talking about long exposure. And that comes from photography. Many of you, you've seen uh, fast exposure, quick exposure, you know, those photographs of hummingbirds cotton flight. I mean just the, the the speed of that movement captured in ways where there's no blur. You think about sports photography. Uh, you think about being able to capture uh, an F-14 flying through the air. And it seems as if it's not even moving. That is quick exposure where the shutter speed is just one thousandth of a second. And it's amazing how photography can capture that. But what we're talking about is the opposite. We're talking about long exposure as a metaphor to help us understand how we can approach and how we can understand God's attributes. So let me show you some examples of long exposure photography. You've been seeing this the last couple of weeks, but this is a friend of Bel Air's who shared these three photographs with us. This is downtown Los Angeles. And you can see uh, not only across the bridge, but the freeway underneath the movement of light. And the way that that works is there's a camera set on a tripod. Don't worry, this is not filming you. People ask me like, are you like filming me out there? Saying, no, there's a, this is off. The, the caps on, but as an image, a camera is set on a tripod. There's a wide-angle lens. The aperture is set to high and the shutter speed opens up the lens for a few seconds. It could be 5 seconds, 10 seconds, 30 seconds. Some long exposure photography will open up the shutter, open up the lens for an entire day. And what that does is if there's any movement It will capture that sense of movement. If there's any light that moves, it captures that sense of movement. It gives you a broader perspective rather than a quick little snapshot. It gives a sense of scope and perspective. Think about downtown Los Angeles and all the movement that happens down there. Take a look at this next image. This is down in the Jewelry Mart. People flying by and this could have been taken at midnight. And the amazing thing is about long exposure photography is that the longer you open up the lens, the brighter the image will become. And so though you might look at that and say, no, that's gotta be like 6.30 a.m. It's gotta be, you know, you know, dusk or dawn. This, This could very well be midnight because again, the longer you open it up, the dark things get lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter. Take a look at this last image, same photographer. And I love this, this reminds me of a text that came through from DJ Viola who's part of this church and he's a, a filmmaker and he says, I love this imagery that you're talking about of long exposure photography because it really, it requires us to be still. And sometimes when we are still long enough, things that used to be dark tend to get lighter. As we're still, we begin to see things that we didn't see before. And so what we've been doing is we've been taking a tripod, so to speak, we've been planting it in a part of scripture, we've been opening up the the angle of the camera to look from Genesis to Revelation, and we are taking a long exposure look at different attributes of who God is. So the first week, we talked about the God who is love. Last week, we talked about the God who is present. Today, we will talk about the God who is able. And we're going to plant our tripod here in Psalm 33, and then we're going to look from Genesis to Revelation with the little time we have and get this long exposure look at the God who is able. So let me read this beginning in verse 6 of Psalm 33. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all their host by the breath of his mouth. He gathered the waters of the sea as in a bottle, he put the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the thoughts of His heart to all generations. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom He has chosen as His heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all humankind. From where he sits enthroned, he watches all the inhabitants of the earth, he who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. A king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a vain hope for victory, and by its great might, it cannot save. Truly thy, the Lord, is on those who fear him, on those who hope in His steadfast love to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. Our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. This, my friends, concludes the reading of God's word. And we can give thanks because absolutely this defines for us not only this God who is able but actually helps us understand what we can be able to do. Now I want to define able, in other words, is it's power, okay? We're talking about a God who is powerful. In fact, if you were here last week, I talked about three attributes of God that only God has. Theologians call these omni-attributes. That he's omniscient, that he's all knowing, he's omnipresent, that he's all present, that he's omnipotent, that he's all powerful. And so today we're gonna to talk about this idea that God is all powerful, that he is able. But what is power? Well, power is simply this: it's being able to accomplish what you want. Let me say that again. Power is being able to accomplish what you want. Now, if you want something, if you desire something and you're not able to accomplish it, if you're not able to do it, not able to get it or say it, there's a disconnect, there's a gap, there's no power. We're in a hot real estate market right now. I mean, 13 multiple offers, everybody could want that home. Even apartments, I mean, it's a feeding frenzy. Everybody could want it. Everybody could desire it. But the one party or the one family the one uh, who is able to accomplish that, to get that, they're the one with the power. And when you look at God from beginning to end through all of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, we see that there is a God who experiences no gap, no disconnect, no chasm between what God wants and God's ability to accomplish it. And just think about that for a moment. All that God wants to accomplish, God does. In fact, the psalmist actually uses the rich language of some of this. Even in verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. So God wants to create, and God does. And God is so powerful. God is able to do this so easily, he just speaks. The cosmos are created. Not only did God have the original idea for all of this, God had the means, the resources, the power to actually accomplish that. And on and on it goes. We see throughout all of Scripture that God is able to accomplish all that He wants in every single way. There is no lack of power for God. In fact, there's no frustration for God because we experience a frustration when we want something and we can't accomplish it. We experience that gap. We get that frustration. And yet with God, there is no frustration. In every single way, again, God accomplishes exactly what he wants. And if you ever look out upon this cosmos and say, I don't see that playing out, it's not because God either doesn't want it Or doesn't have the timetable that you have know that there's always this perfection there is no gap there is no disconnect at all between what God wants and what God can accomplish and does accomplish and we see throughout all of Scripture we see this played out in immeasurable ways and as it goes on and on the imagery here verse 7 he gathers the waters of the sea as in a bottle think about that that imagery for a moment The power of God that he has the capacity, if he wanted to, to accomplish that. To take all of the oceans, put a nice little mason jar on his countertop. So powerful is God. And on and on it goes. And it even gets to this point where you look at this and you say, well, what is this all about? In verse 10, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. Now, let's pause there for a moment. Now, you might look at this and say, okay, this pastor's up here, and if you're new, you're like, who's this guy? Okay, he's talking about God wants something and he accomplished some things. Why would God want to frustrate the plans of the people? I mean, that's not a good God. That's not a loving God. Well, actually, again, if you take a step back and you take a long exposure look at who God is, we see that God is all loving, that God is all-knowing, that actually the things that God wants of which he can accomplish He wants things that are perfect, that are good, that are actually far superior to anything we could ever want, because God is a God of love. And yet, at the same time, we as human beings, though we're made in the image of God, actually experience a frustration in our own life, because there's a disconnect between what we want and how we can accomplish it. I've dislocated the shoulder three times. I mean, it's taken a lot for me to be able to do this, Okay. The, the three times, the three things that I did to dislocate this shoulder, uh, first was this. I was uh, on a snowboard sliding backwards down a rail five feet above the ground, <laughs> by choice. <laughs> and I got to the end and my heel caught and I fell back, landed on my shoulder, pop, out it goes. The second time... I was going off again snowboarding. I should have learned, huh? I was trying to do a cork 720. Some of you can Google that later, and as I came up off the, off the lip of the jump, I was flying. You gotta get a lot of speed for a cork 720. My trailing arm, after I rehabbed it, after I got it to go, hit the top of the lip, and it popped off. I'm flying through the air. My arm is like a noodle, right? The third time, I lift a briefcase, and I put it in the passenger seat of my car, and it dislocates. Because every single time you dislocate your shoulder, it gets weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. And the frustration I experienced of wanting to do things, yet I didn't have the ability to accomplish it. I wanted to just do this. I couldn't do it. I wanted to shake somebody's hand. I couldn't do it. I wanted to lift this high enough so I could take a shower and clean here. I couldn't do that. It was so frustrating. We know what it's like in life just with our human bodies to want things and we can't accomplish it. We've got plans. We've got desires. We've got all these things out there. We know what that's like, whether it's in school, whether it's in work, whether it's with our hobbies, whether it's with personal relationships, with our parents, with our kids, extended family. We have wants, and yet we experience this gap, this disconnect between being able to accomplish it. And that's just us as individuals. And then other people get involved, and the things we want and how we want to accomplish it actually are in a collision course with other people and their wants and how they want to accomplish it. I've got a four-year-old. You've heard about my son, he's been in the ER three times, you're like, what's with this family? Gosh, wow. Well, he's taken after me, I guess. He jumped out of his crib, broke his arm, fell down some stairs, broke his leg. Hooked himself with a fishing hook a month ago. Some of you saw this on Instagram. I couldn't get it out. Took him to the doctor, the hospital, the emergency room. They couldn't get it out. They had to sedate him, push it through, cut the barb off. Long story short, this kid wants to do a lot of things. And if he wanted all these things, and if he had the ability to accomplish all those things, he would never sleep, ever. He would only eat sugar. He'd be driving my car because he's figured out how to turn it on. And so I, as a parent, have to lovingly, you're like, what? I have to, as a parent, lovingly know that, gosh, I love him. But he, as he wants these things, as he wants to accomplish these things, I, as a parent who have a bigger knowledge, a bigger perspective, who love him deeply, are saying, Judah, I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me either to pay again, the emergency bill, okay? You're bouncing off the walls. It would be disastrous for me to be running down the street with you driving down the car. Okay, so there are things that I want. There are things that he wants. There's a collision course there. And the sad thing is, it's so hard for me as a parent when I'm saying, Judah, no, you can't drive my car. No, you can't stay up all night. and eat sh- No, you can't do this. And he says to me, four-year-old perspective, and he says, you don't love me. If you love me, you would give me that popsicle. You would let me drive, and it's so hard for me. You parents, you know what it's like. Grandparents, you know what it's like. And out of love, I frustrate his plans. I absolutely frustrate his plans. And we have a God, the psalmist says, who frustrates our plans. Not because he doesn't love us. It's because our wants are so much less than what he wants for us. There are ones that we have that we think will give us peace. We think will give us joy. We think will make us happy. It, it feels good. It's comfortable. And God says, no. If I allowed you to do that, I wouldn't be loving. And so there is not only a disconnect in our own personal lives and with each other and with God. But we're left with this life of what do we do when we feel Powerless. What do we do when we are about to get that diagnosis? We don't know what it's going to be and we have no power to accomplish what we want, which is the clean bail health. What do we do when we want to be reconciled with our spouse and they don't want that? What do we do when we want to get the job and we keep getting turned down again and again and again? You see, we experience every single day, you have thoughts in your mind right now of how right now you have wants and desires and needs, and there is a disconnect in your ability to accomplish that, to get that, to have that. Well, there's two different paths we can go. One path, is to just go out and get power, is to grab power, is to work on closing the gap ourselves. And what do we do? We go to school, we make connections, we pound the pavement, we make cold calls, we get coaches, we get mentors. Some of you, you are here today because you feel there is a gap in your life and you think that somehow what I say or something that God will give you will close the gap between what you want and how you're able to accomplish it. But the problem is, is not only do you not have the power to accomplish it, actually the ones that you have, they're not perfect. They're not pure. I've experienced in 13 years so many conversations with people who have said, I wanted this one thing. I thought that when I got this thing, when I got that job, when I had that relationship, when I achieved this, when I just got to that, I thought I would have peace. I thought I would have joy. There's one gentleman I spent years with. He was a retired NFL quarterback, went to the Super Bowl. And there was a disconnect in his life. Between what he wanted for his family, his professional life, now that he retired from pro sports, there was a huge disconnect and there was this huge frustration in his life. And when he began to get the things that he wanted, he was still left at the end of the day sharing with me, Drew, I thought that was going to give me peace. I thought that was going to give me joy. And often we can show up to church and we can think that we can somehow harness this power that God has into our life so that somehow if I say the right word or if I pray the right prayer, if I do the right thing, then somehow maybe God will help me close the gap. Somehow God will give me the power to accomplish what I want. But like a loving father... To a child, God says, I'm going to frustrate your plans. Not because I want to frustrate you. Not because I don't love you. It's because your desires, your wants are too shallow. And the tough thing is sometimes they can be altruistic things. We can want peace. We can want joy. We can want purpose. We can want reconciliation. The problem is, is that we want it to happen a certain way to get that peace. And if God doesn't want... It to happen that way we might look at God and say you're not powerful you're no good to me I'm gonna go find power somewhere else but yet we look throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation we meet people like Moses who is able to have the power to walk before the most powerful human being on the earth Pharaoh and say God says let my people go where did he get that power where did he get that courage Esther is able to walk before the king at the threat of death. And on and on it goes. Courageous men and women who are able to go into these impossible situations with the greatest sense of courage, with the seeming greatest sense of power, how can they experience that? What I love the fact is that God is able to accomplish what He wants. And one of the things in which God does and accomplishing what He wants as He came to earth to do something that was the last thing that I think people thought would happen. Open those Bibles back up. Let's go to Luke chapter 3 very briefly. And as you see here, this great picture, in many ways this is a, a key that unlocks this, this mystery of how do we experience This chasm, this gap, this frustration between what we want and how we can accomplish it. Luke chapter 3 gives this picture in verse 21. I'll start reading as you get there. Of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Churches around the world are celebrating Trinity Sunday today. This fact that God mysteriously is three and yet one at the same time. That God is a community of oneness. That in that relationship, as we describe of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, who have existed throughout all of eternity, we get a snapshot here of those three in relationship. Verse twenty-one. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized, and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice. This is God the Father, a voice from heaven saying, "You are my Son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased." And then in chapter 4, it says, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He was tempted in the desert for 40 days without food. I love the fact that Scripture says that God is fully God, and yet God came in the flesh. Jesus from Nazareth was fully God and yet fully human, who thirsted, who had hunger, who absolutely after 40 days in the desert was hungry. And the accuser, Satan, the devil comes and tempts Jesus, a so recorded three times. There could have been more recorded, there are more temptations, but the three that we know, two of them begin with this, "If you are the son of God, then prove it. If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread." No doubt Jesus wanted food. No doubt. No doubt, he wanted food. What Satan was asking him to do was this. You have this want? It's a good want. You were created to have food. It's how God wired you. You have this want? Now here's how I want you to accomplish it. And that's what Satan does. In many ways, he doesn't distort the want in your life to be something that, of course, why would I want that? No, he takes the very thing, and in such a subtle way, he says, well, this is how you get there. Here's how you close the gap between what you want and how you accomplish it. And when you buy into that temptation, that's what Scripture says is sin. To sin literally means to miss the mark, to accomplish something, to aim at something, and you go about it the wrong way. How does Jesus respond? We talk about the God who is able. Jesus responds and says this from Scripture, verse 4, Jesus answered him, It is written, one does not live by bread alone. Yes, I'm hungry. Yes, I want that. But I'm going to rely upon God's power, the power of God's word to sustain me, not by doing the thing that I could do, but it would be the way that you would want me to accomplish it. Take a look at verse 5. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me. And I will give it to anyone I please. I will give you power, Jesus. You can be Lord. You can be king over everything. But this is how I want you to do it. Here's how I want you to close the gap. If you just, verse 7, if you just worship Me, You see, every single one of us has a power gap in our life. There are things that we want. We don't know how to accomplish it. And sin is relying upon anything other than God's provision to narrow that gap. And Jesus lived the life that he's called us to live perfectly to the T. Jesus constantly says, I have come not to do my will, but I've come to do the will of the Father. Let me translate that. I have come not to do what I want, but I have come to do what God wants. And if you look at the life of Jesus, you will see that God the Father and God the Son actually, there's a collision course there. Because God the Son is actually fully human. Before he goes to the cross, which is what God wanted for us, Jesus is in a garden called Gethsemane. And he's filled with anguish, he's sweating blood. And he prays, God, this is not what I want. Specifically says, Father, let this cup pass from me. What a moment. Everything hangs in the balance. And yet Jesus ends that prayer and he says, not what I want, but what you want. Not my will be done, but your will be done. And what Jesus models for us is something extraordinary. And he says this that there is a God who there is no gap between what He wants and what He will accomplish. So rather than focus on what I want and the resulting frustration of not being able to accomplish it, I'm going to ask that what God wants, of which He'll carry out, I want Him to do what He wants in me and through me. And I want Him, who will always accomplish what He wants, to just accomplish it through me. And then all of a sudden, you actually step into and you begin to experience God's power. Because it's not your want, it's his want in and through you. And he wants you to have peace, he wants you to have joy, but it's gonna be his way and his timetable. And then when you begin to step into that experience of God's power, what he wants in your life and through you and how he's gonna accomplish it, then you can walk into the doctor's office, Not waiting for the doctor to say, hey, you're cleared from cancer. But you'll be able to walk into that and say, God, I want what you want in my life. Accomplish it through me. I have no idea what that's going to look like. I don't know what the doctor's going to say. I don't know if I'm going to live for another 30 years or 30 seconds. But what do you want to accomplish through me right now? And I'm open to it. And all of a sudden, you might open up yourself to speak to the person next to you in the waiting room. That someone will look at you and say, where did that peace come from? Where's that sense of confidence when you go into the boardroom and you're not trying to grab power, but you ascribe all the power to God so that he would do what he wants in and through you. He's going to accomplish it. I'm telling you, you would walk into every moment of every day so differently if you harness that power in and through your life. But let me be clear. This is not about you saying, this is what I want now. God, help me accomplish it and say, no, I want what you want in my life. God, this is tough. This is difficult. It is uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. I am grieving this. This is going to be difficult, it's going to be hard, but your will be done, not mine." But what does that look like in a very practical way? I mean, it played out. What does that look like? Well, you see, the more we spend time in God's Word, we begin to get the resources and we find that we experience, as the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. And I love that because Paul is saying, I want to know. It's not a head knowledge. It's a relational experience. He says, I want to experience Christ and I want to experience his power in and through me. Then we'll find ourselves in impossible situations. asked to go outside our comfort zones and our life will begin to look Like this. Take a look.
1: My name is Lisa Glenn. I'm a member of Bellard Church, and I went on a mission journey in 2013. I co led um, the trip with some of the teachers from Bellard Church, and we went to Haiti to um, basically serve and teach teachers and teach children. Thinking back about our mission experience in 2013 um, was really exciting. And when it came time again to go to Haiti, Joanna and I said, yes, definitely we want to co-lead. This is what we want to do again and we want to go back again. It was like going back to visit family. My husband's name is Dave. Uh, we were married um, just a little over 30 years. So I committed to, to co-leading in January, and the end of February we found out he had ALS. It was really emotional. You know, we were we were presented with this diagnosis knowing that there was no understanding of how people got ALS and there was no cure. And, you know, just the the questioning like, really, Lord, what what's happening? Dave just retired. You know, this seems like a time where we would be spending more time together, not less time. And so it, it really was a place of uncertainty. And aside from the initial shock of the disease, my, my other thought was, what do I do? I mean, I, I really feel that God has called me to serve and to co-lead. And to go back, and at the same time, do I leave my husband? The interesting part is that Dave kept saying, just go, just go, you need to go. And that night was when I came upon the verse, Second Corinthians. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance of every good work. It really inspired me because I felt like God was saying, I am able." In that moment where he was experiencing his last days, we were with extended family. We had a Christmas dinner. We were celebrating, you know, life. And when I think of going back to Haiti, it's very much like that. You know, this is extended family. This is a different part of family. So, what, what would Dave say about me going this year? He would definitely say, I knew you'd go back. He saw the passion when I came back the first year. And, you know, Dave has always encouraged me to be in ministry because that's where my heart is. I think God calls us to certain areas, and, you know, He's called me to Haiti. Tell your heart to beat again. Close your eyes and breathe it in.
0: Let the show. Lisa, I watched you navigate that season. And the world would say that you shouldn't have peace, you shouldn't have joy. And I watched you navigate that with your God. And the sense that I got is that you kept on praying, saying, God, what do you want in my life? What do you want? And the fact that God would direct you to that verse that not only reminded you, but it reminds this church that God is sufficient. That when he calls you, he's gonna equip you. That when he wants to do something in you, he has the resources, he has the power to accomplish it. And though Dave's in God's presence right now, watching you navigate that season, this season, it's inspiring to me and it reminds me that we have a God. that is able. You see, the truth is that every single one of us, and we do it in different ways, we wanna be God. We wanna be in control. We want things to work out how we want it to work out. And it can be good things. And yet we don't have the power to accomplish what we want. And yet God wanted to be human and has the power, and did have the power to accomplish that. To be born as a human, to live a perfect life that we couldn't, to die a sacrificial death so that we don't have to, to go to the cross, as Scripture says, so that God, in all of God's power, empties God's power for you. And that's the amazing thing of Scripture. The whole time, well, we want to be God. God says, I want to come be with you. And why? Because I simply want you. I want to know you. I want to be known by you. I want to experience you. I want you to experience me. And the very truth is that we have people on a daily basis coming to that acknowledgement that to be a Christian isn't okay, I've got my wants. And now I found a God who can give me the power to get what I want. No, to be a Christian says this. I don't have any power. And in fact, my wants are too small. But I found a God that wants me. And he wants to flood my life with all that he wants to accomplish through me. As the Apostle Paul says, now to him who can do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine, to him be the glory. You see, to be a Christian simply means that you lift up empty hands of faith and saying, God, I want you. I want your wants to be accomplished in my life. I have no idea what that is. I don't know what that timetable looks like. I don't know how you're going to resource me or equip me. You see, you could have all the money in the world and have no security. You could have all the degrees and no access. You could have all the connections and still not get the job, but you could have none of that and have more peace and more joy, more security than anybody else. That only happens when you harness a relationship with a God who is able. Imagine how much this city, this world, this nation would change if just one of us, one of us would take another step and say, God, you are able. Do what you want to accomplish in and through me. I surrender. That's just one. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this moment. And as we again look to you, may our hearts and our minds zero in on your love. We can look around in this election year, we can look around in the news, we can look around and see everybody around us giving a power grab. And God, it's easy for us to want to control things, for us to try to accomplish what we want. May we be still. May we turn to you. May we surrender and say, God, whatever you want, would you accomplish it in my life and through my life? That's what it means for us to follow you, Jesus. Every day and everywhere, with everyone. Even our weakness. May your power be made complete. In Jesus' name we pray and we sit together. Amen.